What if I told you your sins were unforgivable? We probably all struggled with unforgiveness at some time in our lives. Maybe for, uh, for you it was a, a dance invitation that was rescinded and then uh, on social media you saw that the person who had invited you to the dance was still at the dance and there was someone else. Or maybe for you it might have been like um, an invitation to a friend's house and then they said we just couldn't work it out this weekend. But then you hear that your other friends were still there. Maybe your best friends join you, um, linking arms side by side in ministry or mission or for some cause that you believe in at the heart level. And you make progress in the face of struggle together and without any indication that something might have been off without explanation they're gone you're deserted maybe it was a significant other for you who you not only began to share some of your hopes with but you'd started to together develop dreams for the future and maybe they included more than just careers that had give and take, but a household where there might be children, and extended family where relational bonds were formed, and that either that significant other or someone in their family drops a massive bomb of betrayal in the middle of what you've built together, and you feel devastated, maybe like you can't forgive. Betrayal by a close friend can feel like a knife plunged into your heart, but from the back, and then broken off in there. It's stuck in there. You can't get to it. You never saw it coming, and you don't feel like forgiving. In fact, maybe, maybe that wound has left some kind of a mark in your heart, or maybe the fact that you've lived in that world of unforgiveness, your little heart shape has become shaped in a new way. It's been shaped by unforgiveness or bitterness or what you might just tell yourself was a sin that was just too much to forgive. So I have a question today. Do we create unforgivable sins in our lives by withholding forgiveness from those we need to forgive? Do we create unforgivable sins in our lives by refusing to share the forgiveness that we've been given ourselves? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Please speak to us today through your word and by your spirit. May we be open 
to doing what you have for us to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew 6, this is immediately following Jesus' instruction on the Lord's Prayer, where we're supposed to forgive those who sin against us, right? That Lord's Prayer. Immediately following that, Jesus says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We've got audience participation coming, so get ready. It's on the screen. But if you do not forgive others their sins, now I want you to join me. Your Father will not forgive your sins. I had a friend in the congregation this morning ask me, what are we talking about today? And I said, forgiveness. And he said, justification, though. Yes. And also, this is Jesus. How do we go about forgiving those who have hurt us so deeply that we're not sure we're going to ever overcome that pain in our lives? Is there any example in Scripture that comes to mind? When you think about someone who's been betrayed or someone who's been sinned against in such a way that surely they would have justification for not forgiving. My guess is you might think of a few. You might even be thinking, um, when you said that we can develop an unforgivable sin, there was this Easter event last week, right? And you might be on the right track there because Easter means forgiveness of sins. But how do I forgive a person who signed a contract where they promised to do this simple bullet list of things and now we find ourselves not only in court but facing bankruptcy? Like, my whole family is going to be undone because of this person's behavior or lack of behavior. Later in Jesus' ministry, he's asked again about forgiveness and he raises that expectation of forgiveness. I would invite you to Follow me along as we see that Jesus doesn't only say that we should pray for forgiveness, that we should forgive others, that if we don't forgive, we will not be forgiven. Jesus then raises the bar and calls us to be abundantly gracious. As I read through this, imagine in your own life two things. What does a fully devoted follower of Christ look like? That's what we're about making at Georgetown Christian, fully devoted followers. We believe that's what Jesus calls us to do. And do I have any unforgiveness in my heart? I'll read and you can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered you, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, to quickly translate this into like Floyd County median income, it's $1.2 million, a lot of money. That man was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children 
and all that he had be sold to repay that debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Okay, Floyd County wages, just kind of right off the top of my head, 200 bucks, okay? Not quite like 1.2 million. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I can pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I'll be in first, I'm sorry, second Timothy chapter 1. And I'll be in John chapter 11. And then later this week, maybe today, you'll be in John chapter 13 through 17. Not on your own, but with the Lord. Jesus expects that we will forgive as we have been forgiven. So is there any example for us in Scripture? As I said, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 I'll begin reading. You can follow along. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anisphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. This is Paul writing a letter to his protege, his disciple. He calls him his son in the faith, Timothy, instructing him on how to be a good pastor. And he starts with, at least in chapter 1 of his second letter, some people who betrayed him. They were disloyal to him. It was in the middle of a mission that was very important. I might say more important than my mission, right? I mean, Paul was taking the gospel to a brand new place, and he is deserted by people who were side by side with him, formerly in the ministry in Ephesus. And if you don't remember Ephesus, there was a lot of pain and struggle there, right? Like the Christians were brought in to be flogged. Paul acknowledged the betrayal that he suffered. He acknowledged it to Timothy. 
I would call Timothy his friend. He acknowledged the betrayal. Do we acknowledge betrayal when it happens to us? Do we just acknowledge? Do we say, hey, I was left. I was betrayed. I was not really asked what I thought, and they just took action without me. Or do we bury it? Do we stuff it down in the recesses of our heart and then plant a seed in it of unforgiveness? Number one, Paul acknowledged, if you're taking notes, I'm going to have four points. Number one, Paul acknowledged his betrayal. Number two, Paul remembered his faithful friend. Paul remembered his sacrifice, and Paul remembered the, the refreshing, is what the NIV says. He, he remembered his refreshing. Paul's faithful friend, aren't you glad we didn't have to read that one together? Onesphorus. That's kind of a challenging name. I don't know any Onesphoruses. Uh, but Paul described how he was a good friend, and he went into just a little bit of detail saying, because he searched for me and found me when I was in Rome. And, and I'm not like a great historian, but Rome is not a little city. It's a big city, right? And so let's just agree that it's a big city. Now, I want to take a, a rather small little step and say, imagine Chicago for me. Large city, right? My wife and I were there on our honeymoon. I know you guys thought I was fancy before. Chicago honeymoon, right? That's, uh, that's pretty fancy, isn't it? Are you guys impressed with a Chicago honeymoon? It's very impressive. So we're in a Chicago honeymoon, and uh, we're supposed to find this restaurant where you like cook your own food or something. I don't know. Um, and she's operating a map that is like printed. And I'm driving in Chicago. She would say driving, and she'd be right. And um, let's just say we weren't both the greatest at our jobs. It was just a struggle to find our way around a very large city. But Paul remembered the effort that Onesiphorus went through to find him. Now imagine maybe there was a map. But man, there for sure was not a phone, let alone a cell phone or GPS or anything like that. That's the kind of friend that Paul remembered. And then Paul says that he remembered that he was refreshed. And I, I really like the way one commentator said this. He said, imagine, and we don't know this for sure, but imagine that Paul's uh, home imprisonment was like a jail cell that was actually in a basement without a window, and there was not a lot of air movement. And so it would get really hot, you know, or at least really stuffy, right? And, but then when his friend would come... He'd be refreshed, and he said it was almost like, imagine turning on an air conditioner in that cell for Paul, or in that home for Paul, or however Paul was in prison. Just imagine that it would feel like cool AC, and some of you guys may have been out at Thunder yesterday. You may have been working in the yard, but for sure, whenever you came into the shade or into the house where the AC was on, you felt refreshed, and that is what Paul is remembering. Paul, number one, number one, he acknowledges that he's betrayed He's honest with it. It doesn't appear that Paul has stuffed that betrayal and that hurt down into his heart and planted a seed of unforgiveness. It, it appears that he just acknowledges, I was betrayed. And then he goes on, number two, he remembers his faithful friend. And then number three, if you're taking notes, he prays for his faithful friend. He just kind of slips straight into a mode of prayer there in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He, he's not He's not bashing those who betrayed him. He's not really dwelling on the fact that those people deserted him. He just 
says that they deserted me. He remembers his faithful friend, and he prays for his faithful friend. Now, I want to just suggest that Paul has forgiven these people who sinned against him. Because Paul, at the end of this letter, he explains that he's forgiven someone else. And that's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. He says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Now, just a quick note about Mark. Previously, Paul was on a missionary journey with Barnabas in Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas and, say it with me, starts with M, rhymes with Mark. Mark. Those three, they were on a missionary journey together until Mark was like, uh, deuces, I'm out. No explanation, no reason given, just abandoned them, right? So I'm going to just believe that Paul has also forgiven Philegius and Hermogenes, okay? I'm going to believe that he has because right here, he's now asking for Mark to come back. He's asking for Mark, who... I think he's forgiven. But I'm not trying to tell you that I can tell you here in this point in Scripture, Paul has forgiven these two. Okay, we don't have that explicit evidence. But we do have the evidence that Paul has forgiven Mark, who abandoned him in the midst of a very important mission, and he has forgiven him. So when I was, I will just say fourth or fifth grade, because I don't know for sure, um, younger, considerably, I got into trading baseball cards. Um, first, I got into collecting. Don't let me get ahead of myself. Then I got into trading. And my first jump into trading, hopefully, was less painful than your first jump into trading baseball cards. Um, I really liked to collect uh, Ricky Henderson. He was like this really short, uh, super fast guy. And I was, you know, just like him, I was really short but super fat guy. Uh, very fast, not at all fast. So I really liked him. Um, and a friend uh, on the bus had uh, some baseball cards. Of course, he had some Ricky Henderson. And the first day we go on the bus, we're looking at our cards, and he says, hey, I'll trade you these two cards and Ricky Henderson for this card that I had with me. And I'm thinking, well, I know high-pressure sales. You shouldn't give in right away, so I'm going to go home and think about it, right? And I actually did that. I don't know that I actually knew that, but I did. I went home and I thought about it. And the next day I'm thinking, heck, yeah, I want Ricky Henderson, Right? So I go and I trade him my card and he gives me these three cards and I get Ricker Henderson. It's so cool. And then he immediately starts making fun of me. And I'm like, what? What went wrong here? Right? And he opens his backpack and he pulls out Beckett Baseball Card Monthly. I didn't know about Beckett Baseball Card Monthly. Okay. But every month these people publish values of baseball cards and he'd swindled me. He tricked me. He got my very valuable card or I don't know, moderately valuable. But like when you're in fifth grade, $4 is a lot. Okay. And I got Ricky Henderson and like two other chums, right? I don't know who they were. The point being, I, from that day to, let's just say, longer than I would be comfortable sharing with you today, buried that betrayal, that deception, that trick really far down in my heart. And I planted like four dozen seeds of unforgiveness, okay? And that began to shape my heart in a new way that is very unlike what Jesus would like to see us look like. Paul doesn't appear to have done that. Jesus also doesn't appear to have done that. But I'm not going to walk you through every specific expression of what I believe Jesus did do, but I'm going to invite you to examine John chapters 13 through 17. 
with your Bible and invite the Holy Spirit to speak. Let me just set it up a little bit for you so that you can do this in a way that I think will be meaningful. Jesus experiences betrayal that costs his life. We talked a little about it last Sunday, but I want you to examine his response and ask the question, is it any different than what Paul's was? Um, We're in John 13 now, and I'm reading. After he'd said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me today. So I want to make some context happen for those of you that may not be bringing this context into the passage. When you read it later, today or tomorrow, and allow the Holy Spirit to do work in you. I hope he does work today, but I hope that, unlike me, um, you would then allow him to, to continue working in your heart that we might be the people God wants us to be. Because if we come in here last week and learn about world-changing forgiveness, but we don't share that forgiveness, we are not forgiven. So the context of John 13, Jesus is, you could say, in the middle of a very important part of his mission. He's eating the Last Supper with his disciples, with his apostles, right? He's, he's recasting a, a century, millennia-old religious observation from which the entire Jewish people draw their identity, okay? So, I would say markedly more important than whatever we're going to do this week. Would you agree? Way more important. And it's in that moment that Jesus experiences a betrayal that you and I might say is absolutely unforgivable. A bit more context for when I hope you sit down to have this time with the Lord. His beloved disciple, as he calls himself, John, is the one writing this gospel. And he's, uh, we have a picture, okay? He's reclining next to Jesus. The King James Version, I think, says, uh, and John was in his bosom, okay? So, food, right? Don't get distracted, all right? Food, other disciples. Here's the important ones. John, who's writing this gospel, and this is his noggin, okay? His noggin's like right in here. Jesus, Jesus' bosom, Jesus' head. See why it's in Jesus' bosom there? So imagine as they're there, they're on their left elbow, they're on their side, and they are like just scooping them tasty nom-noms right in there, right? Om nom nom. And so when Jesus says what we just read, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me tonight, Now imagine John, who's writing this gospel, maybe like just turning like that a little bit, right? So would he not have been, as the King James says, like in his bosom, like intimately close to Jesus' face, able to make eye contact? I am assuming these things, okay? Maybe able to make eye contact. Maybe able to see his facial expression, may be able to hear the quickening of his breath when Jesus may be not able to hold this together right now. We don't have evidence of this happening in the scripture right here, but I want to take you with me to now 
John 11.33, briefly, troubled in spirit, the reason we have context, John, same author, same phrase, troubled in spirit, I'll read it for you, John 11.33, this is Jesus meeting the sisters of Lazarus, who's already died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was, same phrase, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Same exact phrase. Okay, I don't know the Greek words. It's irrelevant. I'm just telling you, it's the same phrase. Now let's go on a little bit further. What does it say next? Jesus wept. Troubled in spirit, Jesus wept. I'm not saying that in John 13, Jesus wept. The text doesn't say it. I am saying that the guy who was laying right here and Jesus was right here uses the same words in both instances. I would say it was an experience that was very difficult. I think that's a fair translation. Deeply troubled in spirit. In the same way, John describes both events, one a death, one a betrayal. So my question for you to take home and work in John 13 through 17 with the Word and the Holy Spirit at work in your heart and life do both Paul and Jesus respond to betrayal in the same way? Or are they different? I would like to hear from you what you think. As I held on to the hurt of the betrayal that I suffered in a silly little baseball card trade, I let it remain. I let it fester. I let it grow. I let it literally shape my heart. I created unforgivable sin in my own life? This is a question for you as you reflect today and as you read scripture, John 13 through 17, are you creating unforgivable sin in your own heart and life? Are you burying hurt and bitterness and anger and planting seeds of unforgiveness in your hearts? I believe Paul did these four things. I'll ask you to bow your heads and pray, but I want to show them to you first, and I'm going to leave them on the screen. And it's my hope that these are tools for you to not walk the path I walked in that specific instance of my life. But number one, are you, are you acknowledging the betrayal and the sin that has been committed against you? Number one, are you just acknowledging the betrayal or the sin? Number two, are you remembering your faithful friends? Number three, are you praying for your faithful friends? And number four, are you forgiving those who have hurt you? Those who have maybe betrayed you in a way that you've never expected in life. If you'd bow your heads, I understand if you're still taking notes, feel free to write it down, but I'm going to ask this question for your consideration as you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Will I create unforgivable sin in my own life? Will I create unforgivable sin in my own life? Or will I share the forgiveness that I have been freely given? Father God, 
I stand before you today as a guy who does not quickly forgive and who has special rows and places in my heart where I like to hide bitterness and hurt and betrayal. And you know my habit of doing that. And Father, I know I have brothers and sisters who may experience this very same thing where they're betrayed or they're deeply hurt or someone takes their transparency and their trust and they trade it or turn it into a weapon for hurt and pain. Father, I pray that we would see our unforgiveness just like you do. I pray that you would help me and my brothers and my sisters who want to be fully devoted followers of Christ. You would help us to see ourselves in the story of the unmerciful servant. In Paul's abandonment by Philegius and Hermogenes. In Jesus' betrayal and abandonment. I pray that you would help us respond in a way that brings you glory as you reshape our hearts into a heart that forgives like you do. That we might live in the power of the resurrection we just celebrated last week. To your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.